0: Hello, TJ. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) After so many months since recording our first, finally, natole tayo today.
1: Yes. Thank you, Aj, for this opportunity. Happy to be back here.
0: Excited ako sa episode natin today because it's actually a sequel and this one will be basically building on the topic that we talked about last time. If you have not checked out the episode on Psychopaths and Foucault, go listen to that first. We highly advise that you listen to that first and then go ahead and listen to this one. Yes. Siguro, let's just give uh, another brief introduction to this podcast. Na ito? This podcast is about taking Cultural texts or anything really that we consume on a day-to-day basis, like uh, music or art or or some movie or like today an anime series, and then have that as a topic alongside a social theory or a social theorist. That's what we're going to do today. So, ano ba yung topic natin today? Just to um, give our listeners an idea.
1: All right. So. For those of you who are familiar with Jeremy Bentham and uh-huh. John Stuart Mill, uh, for those of you who took uh, um, sociology classes in way, in, uh, way back in your college days, or for those who are about to take these classes actually in, uh, for your online classes, we're going to talk about utilitarianism. Oh, kuya Aj. <laughs> it's a big word indeed, but we can actually break it down for you guys uh, for this podcast. Uh, no need to overthink about this term. <laughs> We're going to break it down. So yeah, Kuya Aj.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, our topic for today. We're still going to talk about the same anime series, Psycho But this time, we'll be using utilitarianism as our main theory for the conversation. Just to get us started I know that yung ground rules natin. <laughs> Simply lang na man yung rule natin for <laughs> mga episodes ganito, since we'll be talking about something that our listeners might not have watched yet. Diba? So mm-hmm. we try our best. We promise to try our best to avoid spoilers. Okay, so no to spoilers. We, <laughs> no to spoilers. That's our one and only rule. <laughs> <laughs> for this part. <laughs> okay, so. Pero, uh, we also understand na iba iba yung concept ng mga tao to, uh, when it comes to spoilers. Some of you might be sensitive to even just the most minor kind of spoiler. Maybe this would touch on those things a bit, because we'll talk about the setting, the context that you, maybe, mm-hmm. Of the world of psychopaths. So we'll be discussing some details, but we will not be describing specific characters. So we won't be mm-hmm. talking about specific things that the characters decided to do in the course of the series. So we'll keep it at a minimum. And most of our discussion will revolve around elements from the first episode. Today. <laughs> Now that we have uh, laid down the ground rules for for us today. Siguro, let's just recall, what did we talk about uh, last time, DJ? Ano ba yung mga, siguro, things na important from our conversation before?
1: We also dwelled on the first episode of Psychopaths, And as what Kuyo Aj mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about um, the details that actually mattered. So, we're in a city that is actually... um, Technologically advanced. Uh, mm-hmm. so we can safely assume, Kuyaj, right, that this is not, this is not just your typical modern day city. It actually goes beyond the definition of modern, where yeah. quantity is, uh, imposed on, on almost every single thing in, uh, in this city, including the residents themselves. Mm-hmm. And we are going to that later. And we also, uh, we also have as what the anime mentioned, they, they refer to this as psychopaths. Uh, so this is what's measured in every resident in that city. And this is actually a critical factor because we are about to discuss um, this, this specific detail about the one that measures, the tool that measures psychopaths. The one that we weren't able to discuss that thoroughly in the last episode of the podcast. So yeah, what do you have to say to that?
0: There are things that we were not able to discuss that we felt like we want to (laughs) discuss Okay, from the past episode, Psycho Pass is a long anime series and Foucault is pretty overwhelming if you're going to (laughs) dig deep into his thoughts. But uh, the anime is pretty thought-provoking and we realized that after recording that first episode that, um, there are details that we could have capitalized on. So that's what we'll get to today. Last episode, we focused more on normalizing and repressive power, the two types of power Mm -hmm. that is in Foucault's thought. And we saw that in Psychopaths. So we talk a little bit about the society that is painted in Psychopaths so that we could understand repressive and normalizing power better. There were some key questions that we talked about last time. And those are, for example, how is order maintained in that society? We could see through the anime that it is maintained through high surveillance, right? So you have scanners everywhere. I think we mentioned these details uh in passing before so there's scanners everywhere. Like what DJ said, there is what you call a psychopath, which is the mm-hmm. measurement of your psychological state. Okay, so it could be bad, it could be good. It's like a scale. Okay. So you go from yeah. the worst state to the best state. And of course society wants to maintain as much as possible all its residents at their best. Okay, in terms of their psychological yeah. state. So we also talked about society enforcing normalcy. The way they do that is to take care of the individual. They don't want people to be sad. They don't want people to be stressed out. And that's why there's such a, an emphasis on welfare and controlling crime. Psychopaths is really, um, centered on crime. And, uh, basically follows a group of what we know today as police. We talked about psychopaths, but more about the context or the world of psychopaths. So now we'll dig deeper into the major dilemmas in psychopaths. Yun talaga, I think, is one of the best characteristics of the series. There's so many, mm-hmm. like, moral dilemmas. Diba? So different characters, different situations.
1: I think we edge we can mention we can reiterate the the roles of oh, yeah. those who uh quote unquote enforce the law. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. So we do have the inspectors and the enforcers, right?
1: The inspector is actually someone appointed through his or her job application, and they go through rigorous tests exams just to get that position. Yeah. And the inspector. Uh, correct me if i'm wrong is some sort of a model citizen the one that could really hold the position well the inspector is the one uh, who has a stable psychopath yeah. so they cannot just give the inspector role to anyone who has an unstable uh, psychopath now guys this is actually very interesting because the enforcers the partners well the, the subordinates of the inspector they are, uh, they are also using this tool that we will go into later. Yeah. And they are also authorized to use this tool. But the, their difference between, the difference between the inspector and the enforcer is the enforcers automatically have a high psycho pass or a high crime coefficient. Now, if your numerical coefficient passes through a certain, uh, borderline, you're like standing on a cliff. This tool that we're about to mention later, it will measure the probability of you committing a crime. In other words, from the word enforcer, (laughs) they enforce, quote-unquote, the law. But then again, they are authorized to use this tool even though they have a high crime coefficient.
0: I guess we'll just leave it to them to find out why the enforcers are the ones doing that part of the job. But basically yes. their part of the job is the the dirty part of the job. They yes. are the ones who are tasked to do the actual well, dirty work. Um yes. because if you are an inspector, your priority is to like lead the team. That's the context when we yes. talk about the two roles. So let me just go into some stuff I recalled from our discussion before. We were talking about Foucault and I remember uh, when I was reading Foucault that there is a mention of the term technology or technologies of power. It's not literal. When technology is mentioned in Foucault's writing, he's actually talking about mechanisms of power, which is manifested in a society. So, it's complex sha complex uh, than our concept of the technology, which is cell phone, tablet, cars, um, yeah. <laughs> whatever you have. <laughs> that makes the <it> life easier, <laughs> but in the anime they portrayed this technology of power in the form of an actual technology as we know it. Uh, we mentioned this also in the last episode that in Psychopass the inspectors and the enforcers, as T.J. was referring to earlier, were using a certain technology which they called a Dominator.
1: And yes, that
0: is the the gun that they used. The gun that has a built-in system that measures what TJ said earlier, which is the crime coefficient.
1: Primarily, a Dominator is a gun, yes, like what had mentioned a while ago. It's a gun, but it's no ordinary gun. The primary mode of this gun is to be in safe mode. Now, safe mode is when you pick it up, it can't fire anything. Ironic, right? But here's where it gets interesting. As we mentioned a while ago, the Dominator cannot be held by any other person except by those in authority. So, we have the enforcers and the inspectors to hold the gun. Now, when you hold it, the gun can actually uh, recognize who the holder of the tool. So, when when the inspector, I won't name any characters for uh, (laughs) anti-spoilers, when the inspector picked up the gun, the Dominator was able to Get her details, <laughs> yeah. like her, her personal details, and her authority, and her position in, in that certain group. The Dominator really is wired to how the authorities were functioned to, to perform in that certain situation. Yeah. Now, let me go to, into the meat of Kuya Aji's question. How does the Dominator work? The Dominator is like a gun, yeah. You point it to a certain individual, and you want to fire it. But it doesn't just work that way. For you to be able to fire it or even use it, you have to point it at a certain individual who has an unstable crime coefficient. Now, I won't get into um, the technicality of, oh, it has to be a 68 crime coefficient for this. You guys gotta watch the anime for you to get it. But there is this certain threshold that when you point the gun to someone, it will scan their crime coefficient. And if it reaches a certain threshold, that this crime coefficient is going beyond the normal crime coefficient. It goes into the first mode, which is Paralysis Mode. That's when you can fire the gun, but it will only paralyze the individual. Now, when the Dominator deems the individual as someone who needs to be eliminated from society because their crime coefficient is that high, the Dominator will turn into Eliminator Mode. That's when the dominator will instantly kill the person once you pull the trigger. But take note, guys. It's not automatic. Again, for the gun to work, you have to pull the trigger. Yeah. Kui Aj can agree to this, that it, that's actually a very critical factor that we have to talk about for the latter minutes of this podcast. Yeah. Right, Kui Aj? <laughs> that's
0: true. I would agree. Um, Singulo, just to summarize, it's a very powerful tool. It basically has the capacity to evaluate whether a certain person is worth letting live normally or yes. um, being sent, <laughs> sent to a facility for rehabilitation or mm-hmm. to die. Life and death thing siya. Yung power nung Dominator. Because it has the mm-hmm. built-in system that is actually built in subong city, basically, nung... Yep. Uh, Tokyo. The power to decide uh, if a person deserves to live or deserves to die or maybe deserves certain punishment or rehabilitation. There's that. Let's just take that in and uh, I'll go straight to the big questions that we want to ask today Mm -hmm. in relation to the theory that we'll talk about. These are the questions that we wanted to center our discussion on. What is the morally right thing to do? And then more specifically, how do we know we did the right thing? And then we can also extend that to the larger society. In light of the larger society, how do we know we've done the right thing? And you can change that verb tense there to present tense or future tense. But that's the whole gist of it. Like, what is the right thing? How do we know that something is the right or wrong thing to do? And that's where... The philosophy of utilitarianism comes in. TJU was a fellow major, so uh, this is something that they talked about a lot, <laughs> I would assume. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I think uh, all fellow majors would uh, relate that this is a topic that uh, you cannot avoid during the course of yeah. your studies. <laughs> Siguro, let's lay down the basics.
1: For those of you who are not familiar with this term, maybe some of you, even though you're unfamiliar with the term, you guys have been using this principle in life already. Oh, what do I mean? For those of you who are in their houses, living with their families, so for example, someone would ask, oh, okay, what do we order for dinner? And you guys are four in the family. Uh, And you'd want McDonald's for dinner. But your mom says, no, I want Jollibee for dinner. But your father and your brother would agree that they want McDonald's also for dinner. As a utilitarian, (laughs) you would go with McDonald's. Why? Because most of them want McDonald's for dinner. And three against one. So there are three goods for McDonald's and one good for Jollibee. So McDonald's wins. So in a sense, guys, that's how utilitarianism works. Not to oversimplify it, it goes... It goes into a lot of complex details, right, Kuya yeah. But it's just an overview of how utilitarianism works in everyday life. It's basically going for the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people. And we will go into details later when we talk about the complexities of this topic.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. We don't mean to provide an oversimplified explanation, but we do recognize that if you're Pretty deep into this topic already, you might find this an oversimplified version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the yeah. sake of clarity, no. let's just give our listeners some context. We're going to talk about utilitarianism and the basic principles behind it. Just to say it outright, it's a hotly debated topic, even among mm-hmm. utilitarians themselves or people who consider themselves as part of that school of thought, meaning it has evolved also it has evolved as a theory. But if you wanna do some reading, the people that we're referencing are mainly two key figures, Jeremy Bentham and J.S. Mill. We'll talk about their contributions and the main gist of their utilitarian theory. TJ did mention that it could be basically summarized in that phrase, the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Yun sa example ni TJ, you make the most people in that group happy by choosing McDonald's instead of yeah. Holiday. So, na maximize yung happiness in that group, kumbaga. So, that is basically the major underlying principle behind utilitarianism. I want to mention also that it's not always as simple as that if you talk to a utilitarian, but that's basically what they build on. At its very core, we are talking about like I said earlier, what is right and wrong? And utilitarians are saying what is morally right is what benefits the most people, Yes. the greatest. You look for the option that maximizes the welfare of a certain group of people. For example, just to make a simple analogy, if you murder someone innocent, it makes a lot of people angry and sad na minimize yung, yung happiness. If you have to choose between like two things that are preferable to some people or a certain groups of people, like in this example, you choose the one that makes the most people happy. Yes. We're We're using the term happy very loosely here. So not all utilitarians <laughs> would, just talk about happiness, but it's really what's most beneficial for the most people. You can think about yes. it that way also.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, as what Kuya Aj mentioned a while ago, it is a very complex topic. It's not a black and white thing. For those of you who are familiar with Immanuel Kant, <laughs> <laughs> Kuya uh, for those of you who don't know who Immanuel Kant is, uh, he is one of the most influential philosophers of all time. And he would mention that Lying is bad. Period. For those of you who are familiar with the example where the killer asks you where your friend is. Do you lie to save your friend? Or do you not lie and have your friend get killed? Now that's a very classic example. Kant would say that you're not supposed to lie in any given circumstance. Period. There are no exceptions. Lying is bad. Period. But for here, as what Kuyaj mentioned, mentioned, happiness is quote-unquote loosely used. If we are to view that from a utilitarian perspective, if saving your friend will save lots of more people, which will lead to a lot of, a much bigger amount of happiness than not lying and then having your friend killed, then the way to go there, quote-unquote, the morally right thing to do there is to save your friend by lying. For those of you who have heard this while growing up, the end justif- doesn't justify the means. Well, for utilitarians, the end actually justifies the means. As long as it produces the most amount of happiness, then it will justify the means.
0: Yeah, I think we can relate that to a larger, uh, say, theory. So a larger school of thought that is called consequentialism, where you judge the morality of an action based on the consequence. You will know if something is right or wrong based on what kind of consequence it produces. Yeah. If it produces good, then it is the right thing to do. If it produces bad, it's the wrong thing to do. I think that's important for, for us to understand where utilitarianism is coming from. Just to mention some some things I've read about it. So These, these are stuff that I just read online. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. They they said that utilitarianism is generally held to be the view that the morally right action is the action that produces the most good. So that's basically Yeah. Tina. But one thing that they also mentioned there is that there is a difference between utilitarianism with egoism. You could say do what makes you happy, right? Because that maximizes your your happiness. <laughs> Your happiness. <laughs> but that's not entirely right with the utilitarian point of view. So the scope of the consequences that they are talking about is the overall good. The good yes. of everyone in society.
1: The inclusion of everyone, yes. Yes,
0: that's, that's right. That's the scale that we're looking at. It's not just individual happiness or individual welfare. It's really societal good. Yes, That's why we're talking about that in in this podcast. (laughs) It's not just anchored in the pursuit of self-interest, but on the overall good of society. You want to, as much as possible, increase the amount of good things in society. For example, if you're in the government, you'd want laws to support more good things to, to happen in society. And minimize those things that decrease happiness or give pain to people or oppress people, basically. So all those bad things you want to decrease, all the good things you want to increase. And we're thinking about the consequences here of certain actions. I think that's enough for us to talk about in terms of like just the basic principle. Siguro, let's just give an idea where this whole thought process and this whole philosophy is coming from. So from Jeremy Bentham and J.S. Mill, they were really concerned about laws, policies, Mm -hmm. things that they want to change in society. So yun yung context nila. Especially Jeremy Bentham, he was involved in the government, basically. Yeah. And yung proposals yeah, and this whole theory of his is really motivated by trying to make good laws or try to remove those bad laws than as a government to make mm-hmm. it more efficient and excellent in his eyes. So yun yung motive. They're not just talking about right and wrong without like reality. So this is not purely yeah. theory. They're really thinking about the consequences of the theory itself to a- yeah. actual practice.
1: Actually, Goyage, if we, if we dive into the topic more about these uh, wonderful gentlemen, <laughs> uh, we'll realize that they actually hold different views from, from each other. But that doesn't mean they don't have an overarching concept that they hold on to. Both thinkers just want to maximize utility. They are holding on to the principle of utility. Now, utility, guys, to simplify it, it's just to produce the largest amount of good. Now, that's the principle of utility. Bentham was actually one of those people who were able to influence those in the government because he was involved in the lawmaking, and he really wanted to, again, uh, incorporate this principle of utility. He just wanted good laws for everyone to benefit from, and he wanted to minimize. He wanted to minimize the negativity. So Bentham held on to this principle of utility. And he deemed this as, quote-unquote, the morally right thing to do.
0: I just want to support that by quoting Bentham. He said, Nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. It is for them alone to point out what we ought to do as well as to determine what we shall do. On the one hand, the standard of right and wrong, the other, the chain of causes and effects, are fastened to their throne. For mm-hmm. Jeremy Bentham, and actually, similarity niya kay J.S. Mill is yung um, focus nila on pain and pleasure. Like we said earlier, maraming disagreements within the utilitarian school of thought. Some utilitarians would not put too much weight on just pain and pleasure. But these are like the two basic things that Mill and Bentham are concerned about. Yeah. Kaya, kaya minsan tawag yung utilitarianism nila na hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. May ganoong aspect siya. Kaya natin pinag-uusapan yung happiness, diba? Pinag-uusapan natin yeah. yung pleasure and pain, happiness, sadness, and those are things that you would either want to maximize or minimize. But let's just make it clear, we're not talking just about individual happiness here we're talking about what choice gives the most happiness to the most amount of people. So there will be decisions kasi that you will be making sacrifices. You can't please everyone. So in those situations what do mm-hmm. you do? That's where the problem is, right? That they're trying to tackle. So their solution to that is choose what makes the m- most people happy the most. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they would go and make some Mathematical, more technical explanations about these things, <laughs> which we
1: which will not go into. We don't want to go into,
0: yeah, <laughs> we wanna wanna go into that. that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't so, want to go into that. <laughs> I think they get the point. That, it, you, know? um, you can think about decision making over a group. So yung pinaka clear example, which is also the context that. Bentham was in is in government so government oftentimes makes decisions not just for the people in government it affects the larger society that be your city that could be the nation policies have that kind of effect so therefore there has to be a way to make a decision in spite of differences in opinion differences in like responses among your individual members and common ng mga responses ng mga tao sa utilitarianism like i think it would help us to understand it then kasi if we talk about yung usual critiques because to some people this is totally outrageous yung yeah. utilitarian framework somehow to benefit and bill in the others it's not so there must be some reason behind that meron ba tayong mga pwedeng i na criticisms of utilitarianism
1: Actually, there are a lot of criticisms. (laughs) I mean, guys, even within the circle of utilitarianism, they have a lot of disagreements among each other. (laughs) And there is a complex line and three branches within one another. But we actually won't go too in-depth into those things. But one category that we can actually criticize utilitarianism for is the thought of justifying wrong motives right. Actually, this was used in the sources that we mentioned a while ago. We'd like to use it here because it actually makes a lot of sense. So imagine, guys, you are a judge of a city, and you are about to deem whether the accused before you is guilty or not. This is the context of the accused. The accused is actually really innocent. But if you say that the accused is not guilty, so you set him or her free— then your whole city will riot and it will cause mayhem to the whole city, bring the economy down, leading to a lot of crimes escalating in number. But if you convict the accused, even though you know he or she is innocent, then everything will stay normal. Now, like what we mentioned a while ago, if we use Kant's principle here, of course we're not supposed to condemn anyone innocent. That's just wrong, according to Kant. But... According to utilitarianism, the morally right thing to do is to condemn the accused. Why? Because if you condemn the accused, if you put him or her in jail, then your city will be normal. Your city will not riot and there will be no crimes escalating, thereby maximizing happiness. I was explaining to you guys as a utilitarian that imprisoning an innocent person in that context will maximize happiness. That's why it's a criticism. Why? Because you're not supposed to imprison an innocent person in the first place. That will just defeat the purpose of putting a judge in front of you. Someone who is supposed to be qualified to make the proper decisions in terms of law enforcement.
0: That's the dilemma. The critics of utilitarianism usually bring up those kinds of situations where you are in standards today. You'd be doing something bad but the results are good. Either you do something, quote-unquote, bad (laughs) with good results, or you do something good, quote-unquote, and get bad results. So, ano yung pipiliin mo? That has been the major challenge to utilitarianism. That's why a lot of people think it's uh, outrageous as a philosophy. Um, yes. <laughs> and it does have that vulnerability if you think about it, no? Because if there are cases wherein that could happen, it's not gonna be rare. <laughs> Yung mga yeah. moral dilemma. Ano siya, valid concern. And these are things that I believe the later utilitarians would build on and refine their theories, right? Yeah. The newer Utilitarians wouldn't really agree with much of what Bentham and Mill are saying. Kaya sila tinatawag na classical utilitarian. Men. May kategorin yeah. ganon. just to be clear. I think it would be nice for us to enter into psychopaths world again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we mentioned that the goal for utilitarians is to maximize the good things. Minimize the bad things, maximize happiness, yes. minimize unhappiness. If you look at psychopaths, the central theme of the anime is really crime, and crime is something that causes unhappiness. Like,
1: unhappiness. So,
0: that I think that should be clear, naman. No? Crime causes unhappiness, and so that is something negative. So it causes panic, causes fear, grief, death, mm-hmm. and many other things. Na negative. From a perspective of a utilitarian, it has to be reduced. So in psychopaths, with their unique way of handling crime, using the crime coefficient and the dominator and the scanners, the surveillance, they can actually mm-hmm. anticipate and preempt crime. So even before crimes happen, they have a way to stop it. Therefore, in advance, you prevent things from making people unhappy so you can prevent certain events that would cause distress in society they were thinking in that way so you can say that the inspectors and the enforcers were tasked to certain criminals who have not really committed any actual crimes yet the motive behind it is to prevent crime that is justified with a system that they have of yeah. uh, measuring your psychological state. You spare society from negative experiences at the cost of the lives of a small portion of the population, <laughs>
1: which are the criminals. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah.
0: That's where the dilemma comes in, right? You could keep the larger society happy and at peace by just controlling a small portion of it. And happiness is minimized happiness is maximized. Few criminals uh, in exchange for the happiness of the larger society.
1: Quote and quote, the good people.
0: Yeah, the good people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meron tayong na hint kanina like individual happiness versus yung happiness in society. That's a clear clash na being portrayed in Psychopaths. Pass. hindi masaya yung mga criminals that they die. <laughs> or hindi masaya yung yeah. mga would-be criminals that they are being Yeah. Sent to rehab or kill. There's that. But the goal, really, of that system is to maximize the welfare of the whole, not just a few individuals. That's why, na isit namin, there's something really very utilitarian with the world of psychopaths.
1: Yeah, actually, that was a very on point thing to consider. It's so hard not to step on spoilers. <laughs> because. You guys really have to watch the series. It's very thought for and Not to not to step on spoilers. I'm trying my best not to. But uh, there was a criminal in the first episode was deemed as someone dangerous to society. I'm not going to tell you guys what the Dominator deemed them as. The Dominator would deem him as someone rehabbable or someone that needs to be eliminated right away. Like what Kui-Aj mentioned, that person could either be sent to rehab or to the other world, it's actually very interesting to note that the civil system, the system that this city has, it really decides for you, for the holder of the dominator, just as long as you point it at the person that you want to pass judgment on. So imagine that, guys, a gun passing down judgment whether this person is worthy to be left alive or not. Imagine that. Mm. And like what Kuya Aj mentioned a while ago, it is very utilitarian in a sense. In that city, as portrayed by the anime, there are only a few criminals there compared to the good, quote-unquote, the good people. (laughs) The Dominator's job is to stop the crimes from escalating and to even stop the crime from happening in the first place. So the Dominator would deem the individual as someone dangerous or as someone that can still be saved. The thought-provoking one, the concept there is, a gun can actually decide whether a person lives or not. And it's very utilitarian in a sense, like what Kui Adj mentioned a while ago, because it's still up to the gun to decide whether the criminal is indeed a criminal or not. Yeah. Thereby maximizing or minimizing happiness depending on their crime coefficient.
0: It's a great illustration of yung dilemmas, yung mga examples na sinabi mo rin. Kahit yung family deciding what to eat, kanyan, you take it to the very yeah. extreme and it sounds very oppressive now. And you will see that narrative all across the series. So I wanted to transition into talking about certain debates within utilitarianism. Yeah?
1: A lot of debates, guys. We're gonna
0: talk about just two. <laughs> yeah. I think this will be manageable for today. There yeah. are certain dilemmas. For example, when can you say that the action is morally good? or bad. There's a time aspect to it. When is very crucial because Bentham and Mill were concerned about actual choice-making, right? Yeah. So, meaning they're concerned about <clears> this <throat> playing out in real life. <laughs> so yeah. This is where the that debate comes in. This is the actual consequences versus foreseeable consequences debate. The question is, when can you say that the action is morally good or bad? If it is when you find out the result of the action, meaning, nangyari na, that would be the actual consequences utilitarianism. And if it's like, there's an expected result, naikita mo lang, you perceive that there's an expected result, which is either good or bad. That is the perspective of the foreseeable consequences utilitarianism you basically have at one hand in actual consequences you only pass judgment on the action once it's done and it's had its effects if I um, suddenly threw money across the room <laughs> and then people scrambled and became happy that's a good action I guess um, that could be judged as a good action but if it suddenly turned into a stampede or something like that, or getting
1: a lot of people injured, a lot
0: of people injured then it's a bad action. That's for actual mm-hmm. consequences. But for foreseeable consequences, you're already making the judgment based on what you expect the consequence is, right?
1: For example, uh, how the site mentioned uh, distinguishing between actual and foreseeable consequences. Imagine, guys, that there's someone drowning in a river and you are a great swimmer and you can save the person. You actually saved the person. Why? Because you foresaw that saving the person is actually a good thing. Why? Because you're saving a life. You're maximizing the happiness of the person. But you didn't know that the person was actually Adolf Hitler. So the actual consequences was you saved a murderer. Now, for those of you who are asking, what was the...
0: I think it's pretty clear which kind of utilitarianism is being favored by the system. Just for the mere fact that the criminals, quote-unquote, have not committed their crimes yet, and yet they were already tagged as criminals. Even if you have not committed a crime, just because you have a psychological capacity to commit a crime, you're already, kumbaga, the foreseeable consequences were that you were going to commit a crime. But right there and then, in the world of psychopaths, they will decide the fate of the person. The dominator already decides the fate of the person, even before committing a crime. The system is heavily biased towards the foreseeable consequences Yes, utilitarianism. They don't really wait for the results to come out. Yeah. the example that T.J. used earlier, it's a very classic example of like saving Hitler uh, um, yeah. accidentally without knowledge. If you are basing your own judgment on foreseeable consequences, then you would have done the same if you think about it um, that way. Na. This is a person drowning. If I save him, I would extend his life and his happiness. Yeah. That's where they're coming from. But if you're looking at it from the perspective of actual consequences, you'll go, I made a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. Saving that person's life because it led yeah. to the death of a mil- of millions of people around the world. <laughs> That's a rather extreme case, but it's a it's a healthy debate <laughs> in yeah. a utilitarianist point.
1: It helps stretch the concept. Yeah. yeah, especially among those who want to study utilitarianism. <laughs> yeah.
0: I guess it's important for us to like stretch the concept using these outrageous examples no? for us to better understand. I think the anime yeah. does that.
1: The anime actually stretches out that point, but from a different perspective. Let me throw you a question, guys. What if there was this person who cannot be judged by a dominator? What if This person, even though he or she has already committed the crime, is still deemed by the Dominator as someone with stable psychopaths. Then, what are we going to do about that? Now, the anime actually talks about that. It shows you how they deal with that. But I will not name any characters. I will not name any scenarios. You guys gotta watch it. So, yeah, I we what I have to yeah. say to that?
0: <laughs> so, like, another extreme case naman yon. Parang kung may glitch, what do you do? <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's a helpful tool naman to study philosophy and theories in general, diba? Parang you try to look for those possible glitches in the...
1: Yeah, the holes. The, yeah, the yeah. holes.
0: So, that's exactly what that debate is about. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's another debate that we want to talk about. It's the debate between two types of utilitarianism, which is act and rule utilitarianism. Yeah. Can you briefly discuss, TJ, kung ano yung difference in general lang?
1: In general, guys. (laughs) Again, not to oversimplify things. (laughs) So, the act utilitarianism. You can just think of it as you choose the action that produces the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Regardless of the circumstances, you just choose the action that produces the greatest good in that certain situation. Now, for rule utilitarianism, you are thinking about it from a perspective that, like what Kuya Aj mentioned a while ago, there is a certain morality to it that we have to consider before we make the decision. There is that caution that we have to consider before making the final call. In other words, guys, if for act-utilitarianism, we're just considering the greatest good for the greatest number. In rule-utilitarianism, we have to consider the ruling behind it before we maximize the utility.
0: In one way, it feels like when you're talking about act-utilitarianism, you're thinking about certain situations. It's a very situational point of view. So for example you're deciding on something based on your judgment of the situation. It's situational. So every time there's a point of decision, you apply utilitarianism. So, So, if you're put in this type of situation, you assess, is this right? Is this wrong? Does this maximize happiness? Does this lower happiness or welfare? And then you decide. Using that example na nagtapon ako ng pera sa gitna ng kwarto. I would do that based on my assessment of the situation that throwing my money away <laughs> would make other people happy. So I I decided <laughs> I decided right there and then. And money makes people happy, so that's my assumption. <laughs> But if you talk about rule utilitarianism, it's more complex. This is largely yeah. because it really is against a hole in act utilitarianism. So in act utilitarianism, mm-hmm. for example, what if you made your calculations in your head, you evaluated the situation, and you ended up deciding that you would kill someone? <laughs> Because it makes me happy, it would make the people in the vicinity happy because that person is a bad person, something like that. But you committed murder because you thought it would maximize utility. That's uh, another extreme example. Maybe there are better examples. <laughs> Maybe
1: we can take it down a notch. <laughs> yeah, take it down a notch. Well, we're talking about <laughs> killing. <laughs> Maybe, uh, what I was thinking was maybe a departure from the classic example of driving on the road. I thought of keeping the conduciveness of a learning environment. For ACT utilitarians, they would impose something like, do whatever that will contribute to the conduciveness of learning in a classroom. People would think, I guess I could use my phone so I wouldn't distract other people from listening to the lecture. So instead of me talking to my seatmates about the lesson, I can just research on my phone while the the professor the professor is lecturing. For rule utilitarians, what Kuya Aj mentioned a while ago was really critical. Why? Because he was able to mention lessening the judgment. It gives less room for calculation. This is what the rule utilitarians think. Less calculations mean that we could somehow maximize the utility without being more prone to making the wrong decision, quote-unquote. For example, for ACT utilitarians, maybe they'd go with something like, do whatever for the classroom to be conducive to learning. But for the rule utilitarians, they'd say, don't use your phones during class, or don't talk to your seatmate to maximize happiness. Like what we mentioned a while ago, there is this certain caution for ruling that we have to consider before we make a decision.
0: So basically, in Act Utilitarianism, you decide on a case-to-case basis. Yes. And for rule utilitarianism, there are certain rules that say that this thing or this action is wrong. May template ka na? Yeah. Kung ano yung right and wrong. So you don't have to start from scratch every time. So, like, uh, I have to maximize yeah. today. And, um, yeah. do I wash the dishes first? Do I? <laughs> so in day to day life, Na mga decision making mo, it's not too complex and prone to error naman. For example, yeah. in extreme cases like murder, there should be a law for that. The example of traffic or driving, the other yeah, up. yeah. Instead of just telling them to drive safely, you tell them to stop here, then yeah, or to <laughs> allow pedestrians to cross. Then So, my certain rules yes. to guide you to the decision to make more people happy. <laughs> yeah, there's a layer. Yeah. No, not, not everything is up to the individual's own evaluation. Because that's seen by the harshest of critics of (laughs) utilitarianism as a weakness of the theory. If I do whatever I think makes me happy, that could, that could actually hurt some people. I might, I might not have the full knowledge to make the right decision, so why should I trust on my own judgment? That's, I guess, the area that the debate is
1: centered around. The topic about ACT and uh, rule utilitarianism was very critical and is still very critical to these uh, studies. Why? For example, again, we'll take it up a notch. <laughs> we'll go to the killing. This is another classic example actually, guys. Taken from multiple sources. Imagine you were a doctor. You want to save five patients from dying. Now, you'll say, okay, how do I do that? you notice that, oh, I know someone who is not really living their life to the fullest but is very healthy. Now, as an ACT utilitarian, you will say, I'll scramble all of his or her organs, the healthy patient, and transfer them instead to those who need it, so I could save the five patients. Now, five is to one. I saved five lives, but in exchange for one life. Now, that's an ACT utilitarian. Why? Because you just wanted to maximize the good. You just wanted to maximize the happiness. Now, as a rule utilitarian, they would argue that if you were a doctor who was an act utilitarian, no one would trust you. Because we're entrusting our lives to doctors. Now, if all doctors were to act like act utilitarians, I mean, anyone's organs can be detached anytime just to save other people whom we don't really know in the first place. That's actually also another debate that I wasn't able to mention a while ago. The debate of trust. We are putting a lot of trust to doctors, lawyers, judges. Now, if they were to act or to perform as act utilitarians, they will always analyze their scenarios or clients on a case-per-case basis, like what Kuya Aj mentioned a while ago. So there is always that possibility that you will be, quote-unquote, someone who will be disposed for others' happiness to thrive.
0: Now we could go into how we can see this debate actually playing out in psychopaths. Let's go and talk about the Dominator again. The gun that passes judgement on people's fate, if it has decided that you are a latent criminal, or a criminal, there is no longer any room for evaluating if the act itself in that context would yield happiness. From the perspective of the Dominator, for me, that Dominator symbolizes somehow Yung rule utilitarianism because you have now a like a template decision-making process. The dominator says that you are due for judgment, <laughs> then yeah. you are given the punishment. It says that you should be either paralyzed or killed. It seems very rule utilitarian to me. It's like a pre-programmed response. If the mm-hmm. crime coefficient reaches a certain number, you have to shoot. But just to put some nuance in the situation, TJ mentioned it earlier that the Dominator has a trigger and that is important. The Dominator may decide the fate of that person, but at the end of the day, there's a trigger that someone has to pull in order to pass judgment on that person. And, And I guess from my perspective, that's like a leeway for act utilitarianism (laughs) for that person (laughs) holding the gun to make the judgment himself or herself. Those are the inspectors and the enforcers. So they have the opportunity to make the decision because of the trigger. It might be pretty simple or too simple, but um, (laughs) let's just say that a rule utilitarian would pull the trigger as long as the dominator says so, while an act utilitarian might have second thoughts take the context into consideration, examine the scene, and then arrive at the decision. It's not a very neat example, (laughs) but (laughs) I guess I got that vibe from watching scenes from Psycho Pass.
1: It's really interesting that the author of the manga or the series didn't just program the Dominator for it to just shoot without the trigger. I mean, you could program a gun to just shoot when the crime coefficient is high to not leave room for calculations. But, what we have in the anime is different. There is still a trigger and it's up to the holder of the weapon to shoot or not.
0: Siguro, just to encourage people to to watch (laughs) different characters sort of represent certain points of view around these debates that we just talked about. One character might be just inclined to follow what the gun says. Another might not. Another might be in between or having second thoughts. Every character I feel like find themselves within the dilemma. So that's interesting. A lot of
1: internal conflicts. Yeah.
0: We'll leave that for you to discover. <laughs> so as to not spoil you. <laughs>
1: so. Kept the ground I... rules, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kailangan natin sundin. May rule tayo eh to make everyone happy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Classic.
0: <laughs> we wanna end by talking about some parallels to real life. We haven't really talked about it that much during the last episode, yung social relevance nitong anime na to, and even the theories. Some topics came to mind when I was thinking about how this would be relevant to today's time and to recent events. Um one of the things that came to mind really is a thought of marginalized communities or people groups, like for example, yeah. Indigenous groups. Or maybe just the minorities, every single minority in a certain society. In a certain city, for example, you have a demographic and it's usually tilted to one group of people, and one group of people might have like similar things that make them happy, while the other group of people might not agree with that or have different things uh, that they're looking out for, so different priorities. Those who are underrepresented will always. I feel like if we're going to be strict with the with the principle of utilitarianism that says uh, greatest good for the greatest number of people. These marginalized communities will always be, or more often than not, left out, or in extreme cases, oppressed.
1: Actually, I'd like to share about the next point you add. Really hits the mark. Dehumanizing policies, actually, guys, is the next point. And we can see this actually, guys, in a lot of cases that we're holding. And also, I don't want to drop political names here, alright, guys? (laughs) (laughs) We'll stay low-key, but Something to ponder on. Imagine if you were the cl- the classic examples that we mentioned a while ago. Mean, quite You're a judge, and you're convicting someone innocent. You're dehumanizing the person. You're a doctor, and you're trading one life to save five lives. Dehumanizing the person. The person is healthy. The person is still living and is in perfect condition. And yet you're going to quote-unquote, dismantle the person to save other lives that he or she may not really know of.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a dehumanizing policy in itself. When you think of the person as an object or as a means to other people's happiness, then that is dehumanization, guys. Again, let's always treat the people around us with respect. Yeah, th- those are my thoughts. Huh? At all times, we think of them as humans and not as as a means to get our happiness. So, yakui yeah. aj.
0: Yeah. The the principle of utilitarianism really puts you in danger of falling into thinking about individuals, specifically, as less human, even if you don't intend it to, because you are making calculations in your mind. <laughs> you are yeah. thinking about how much happiness, how many people are we... Uh, concerned about here so there's that aspect and that's why I want to bring up also something that's pretty hot a lot of debates about this the past few years well many years now extrajudicial killings war on drugs when I was watching psychopath that's the first social issue that came to mind Does extrajudicial killing have a place in a good society that's a question we can ask. If you think about it in utilitarian terms, you could actually qualify it. For example, be act utilitarian about it and decide on the spot. To minimize further deaths, you kill someone who you think would cause deaths. So, there's mga yeah. and assumptions. Nga lang. So, there's a danger to it. If you hold on to the principle really, really tightly and then apply it just like that, not carefully, yeah. it could fall into that trap as well. Thinking about it, I've heard arguments kasi saying that okay lang yan. It keeps crime low. It makes people afraid to commit crimes. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We leave that up to you, no? (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) Think about it. If you permit it to a minority, what's stopping us from permitting that kind of judgment to more people? Minority nowadays isn't just like two or three people. It's really a percentage and we have like a hundred million people here in the Philippines. Yeah. 5,000 people is a minority. Thinking about that, those 5,000 people, they are humans. That's where it gets problematic. Yes, you can argue maybe. Maybe it decreases crime overall. Maybe it will make people afraid to commit crime but doesn't hurt to reevaluate. Yes. The principle of utilitarianism taking it to the extreme and applying it to the extreme then in a pluralistic society has been problematic. Yes. Thinking about the war on drugs, extrajudicial killings, whichever side you're on in the debate it helps to challenge it. It helps to challenge those being criticized as made.
1: Actually, I agree with what Kuyaj said, especially with the thing that he said, where it's not taboo to reevaluate. Reevaluation is critical in order for a society to move forward. For those of you who would say, Oh, but we've been doing this all the time. Why stop now? Then that's actually the time when you have to reevaluate the most. <laughs> I agree with what Kuyaj said. Those talks, those debates that will push your concept to the extreme, we need those talks. Yeah. We need those debates. And for us to be able to really want to move forward as a people, we want to consider all, all possibilities, all factors. Yeah, why? Our human thinking system is flawed. I mean, we all commit mistakes, guys. And that's another fatal flaw of thinking as a utilitarian, that you are able to calculate almost everything and put it in the palms of your hands when The case is, we couldn't control everything. In that case, guys, we need a lot of differing thoughts. Now, for those of you who are thinking, oh, but we're just going to fight over and over again. Then, yeah, I agree with that. You have to fight for what you think is going to make you guys move forward. But at the same time, you have to be critical and make sure that the re-evaluation is not just for the sake of re-evaluation, but because you really, guys, just want to propel forward.
0: I want to give like a statement. To summarize things, utilitarianism seems to push for this neat system for determining right and wrong, but in reality, yeah. it just isn't that neat. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something that we can say about a lot of social theories, naman, right? Or more yeah. theories, diba. Na, it gives you like this ideal picture in a perfect world, <laughs> In a, yeah. Yeah. an <laughs> ideal setup. If this is applied perfectly. It it might work. Vano na when we think about theories. Of course, yeah. there are many newer arguments by newer utilitarians that actually try to cover those flaws and to modify yung mga aspects that are not really that strong in the classical yeah. model and to respond to the criticisms launched on Mill and Bentham. It's not done changing yung school of thought ng utilitarianism and Neither should our minds, as T.J. <laughs> said, no. But I have one takeaway that I wanna highlight, seguro, just to honor these people, <laughs> na who, <laughs> who contributed to this school of thought and to the discussion that we're having today. Bentham, for example, was very concerned about policy reform. That was his motive. He wanted to, yeah. to change things, uh, laws. They were looking to create actual changes, not just to theorize but to produce actual yeah. results. Yun yung nila. So he wanted to come up with a theory that would lead to certain results. Okay, so and that yes. is where his theory of utilitarianism comes from. So to me, it actually suggests that moral philosophy or social theory should have a bigger role in policy formation, at least from the perspective of, of thinkers like Bentham and Mill. They weren't just theorizing for theory's sake. They weren't doing it for fun. It Hindi lang siya exercise sa mga minds. Yeah. Yung context na pinagagalingan nila is really to make new policies, improve governance and along those lines. So, in a very general sense, magandang example din to nang of an attempt to link theory and practice. That's how I would summarize it.
1: I agree with Kuya Ajis's points, especially with the marriage of theory and practice. So kudos to these thinkers, for those who think that they're ridiculous. Well, you know, I think every philosopher who is trying to contribute to the world uh, a unique thought was deemed as ridiculous (laughs) at one point or another in their lives. But you know, guys, at the end of the day, there are things that we couldn't fully control. But at the same time, it's never bad to step back and think why or how the things are happening around us. Especially that we just discussed utilitarianism. For utilitarians to think that, oh, this is probably the case, you know, um, I wasn't able to maximize this guy's happiness, and this in turn uh, produced these kinds of effects. We ourselves are flawed, okay? (laughs) We actually cannot make the exact calculations. That's why rule utilitarianism was established, because it leaves less room for us to calculate. Why? Because we are flawed. We will make mistakes uh, now and then, but what matters is we have to reevaluate. Along with Kuya Aj, theory and practice without reevaluation will cause destruction. Why? Because theory and practice just being applied over and over again without actually knowing why is mindless tradition. And that will be the cause for a city's uh, destruction to happen. Why am I talking about cities? Why? Because we're applying this in our everyday lives. What you do and how you reevaluate your practice, your theory and practice in life, it really matters. It can cause a ripple effect to what society is now. That's my take, <laughs> Great
0: thoughts. Thank you for the discussion atin today, TJ. Thanks sa mga nakikinig sa atin. I hope you tune in sa next na episode.
1: See ya! Yeah, see you guys!